From the broken ruins of Babylon, this is End of Days Radio. And I am your host, Daniel, broadcasting to you all the way from that shimmering emerald city right here in the heart of that beautiful Pacific Northwest. Yes, it's me. It's me. It's that D-A-N, the all-American man, broadcasting to you from that shimmering, shimmering, gleaming emerald city that just happens to be completely infected with the coronavirus. As many of you know, this show is called End of Days Radio, and we seem to be going through some very trying times. Some trying times indeed. I'm on lockdown. I'm not able to really go anywhere. The date is March 18th, 2020. We are in the middle of a pandemic. The COVID-19 virus is currently sweeping the globe, as everybody out there knows. Today's guest, (coughs) excuse me. Pierre Sabak first became interested, our guest is Pierre Sabak, sorry, pretty interesting, pretty interesting individual indeed, he is somebody that David Icke has actually referenced, big fan of David Icke, so Pierre Sabak first became interested in the subject of UFOs when as a child he saw a landed rocket in a field whilst playing outside. From this moment onwards, he has had a deep and profound interest in flying saucers, Sabic has lectured extensively on, and I'm going to have to get the correct pronunciation of his last name from him. Sabic has lectured extensively on the subject of angelic sailors and has been featured in numerous publications, including David Icke's The Lion Sleeps No More and Nexus Magazine. A world-leading expert in the field of Illuminautics, he has also served as an advisor to Ridley Scott Associates. If you want to know more about his background, go over to his website because he's got probably one of the best websites that I've seen for an author excuse me i got a i got a cough drop in i am sick you can imagine what i'm probably thinking i probably have it so um i'm a little under the weather and not quite myself today so if you can excuse my uh five o'clock shadow and the occasional mistake and me looking probably a little more sleepy than usual i'm sure you will enjoy yourself just fine let me adjust my camera a little bit um, <laughs> let's see here. Oh, <laughs> go to the website endofdaysradio.com. That's where you can get an updated guest list for everything end of days radio. Also, if you wouldn't mind donating to the show, I do appreciate that. This show is 100% completely free for you and me. So I will never charge for it. But one thing that really helps out is if you donate from time to time, you know, donate $3, $5, $10, really helps me out, gives me some major motivation to keep on trucking, helps me, you know, make ends meet and keep the lights on. So I really appreciate anybody that's donating to the show. I'll be sure to keep doing this show no matter what. I'm kind of dedicated for life. It's almost like I'm under contract. Contract with Satan. <laughs> I sold my soul for pod radio. <laughs> No, I I made no deals of this kind, but I do enjoy spreading truth. I do enjoy talking about these subjects. So I really doubt that I'm going to stop anytime soon. Really doubt it. I don't think I'm ever going to stop unless this damn Corona ends up being the end of the road for me. I know the cough drop is really annoying, but I am going to go ahead and call our guest. I told him. 
12.05. He's in the UK, so you know how that goes. A lot of times we get bad connections. We get mixed up going back and forth. But I told him I'd call him five minutes after. It's like three minutes after. So that's why I'm wasting your time just talking about nothing. <laughs> but I'll go ahead and give him a call. And we can get this party started. I actually don't like to go on and on at the beginning of the show like this because I post post this show on YouTube. The people that get the show, you know, the podcast version, they don't care. They they listen to me talk for hours and hours. But people that like just find the show on YouTube or other services like that, they always really appreciate it when I keep the beginning kind of short and then get to the guest because that's who they initially want to hear. I got to kind of, you know, sell myself to them over time. So so I like to just not drone on and on at the beginning of the show and get right to the guest. So let's go ahead and do that. Right, if you just close the door, man, and I'll see you soon. Hello. Hi. Right, it's nice to speak to you. How are you doing? Doing great. Um, could you help me with the pronunciation of your name real quick? Is it Pierre Sebak? Uh, uh, Sebak. Sebak, Pierre Sebak. Okay, excellent. I appreciate That's that. Correct. Well, Pierre, I'm super excited to talk to you. Um, You are very well known in your field, so I've been looking forward to this um, all day yesterday, despite the craziness Mm -hmm. in the world. How are you doing with all the nuttiness, by the way? There's a lot of nuttiness around, isn't there? Yeah, I'm doing absolutely fine. I'm trying to keep focused. I'm trying to sleep well. I'm doing my Tai Chi. I'm trying to meditate, work hard, keep focused, and also just trying to have some fun with the children as well, so... Yeah, just trying to um, do everything as normal, really. Uh, what about yourself? Oh, I'm... Are you getting... Dis- I'm, I'm a little bit... Um, you know, this is End of Days Radio, and this is the first time mm. in my life where I can say that... Well, I live in Washington State here on the west coast of uh, you know the U.S., and yeah. we, we don't get attacked by other countries. We don't have those types of disasters, so it's really shocking for us. It, my reality bubble is completely yeah. popped. Well, exactly, because everything's stopping, the the post, um, air, flights to different countries. So, yeah, it's affecting everything, and, it, and it's massive. And, again, there are so many different variables and so many different strands, so it's very difficult to deconstruct this. I mean, particularly even the political commentators are having difficulty um, understanding what is occurring and, and what the angle on this will be. I think it's also interesting in terms of what the fallout will be as well. Um, so yeah, what type of world is it going to be after, after this, um, however you want to frame it, you know, will it be a better world? Um, and, um, will we recreate the world in a better way or will it be a world which will be, um, recreated in a more draconian way? So yeah, I think these are all pertinent questions. Um, I, I've just got something flashing up on my screen. I'll just close that. Okay. So yeah, um, I mean, do you have a family yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I'm unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I've chosen to quarantine myself because I've developed a little bit of a wet cough. So, okay. yeah, it could always be yeah. the normal flu or a cold or something like that. Yeah. But, you know, common sense tells me I should probably yeah. stay home. Nice thing is I could podcast still. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well this is, um, I mean, this is it really. I, I mean, we're not in the circle of knowledge. It could be far worse or it could be 
or, or it may not be anything who 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 knows but we're not in the circle of knowledge so yes by all means um be cautious about what the government says or be cynical about what the government says but at the end of the day it does no harm to be sensible and and just take the precautions that that's how i look at it so i'm i'm doing the same thing i'm just trying to keep a low profile i'm trying to do what i do which is focus upon my work and just you know remain as positive about it as possible really do you do you feel that this is the uh this the same guys that are behind this that you will touch upon in your works is this uh is 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 well, there a hand, hidden hand pushing this virus out there towards us yeah, I mean, there's always been a hidden hand, right, since the inception of human history. So, again, it's um, what are these variables? Um, but, again, I don't feel that I'm in the position of knowledge to actually know. So anything that I say on the subject would be purely speculative and in that sense would be meaningless. So, but, yeah, I mean, I always think that these players are always there. I mean, I describe it in my book. Um, holographic culture I describe them as a parallel society um, because they work alongside and in conjunction with um, well with uh, government leaders etc and we also have documented um, evidence of this um, in terms of um, leaders speaking to extraterrestrials as well um, both anecdotal sources but also in the holographic culture as well I mentioned that there is a Russian um, well, he was from one of the Russian um, Confederate states um, and he um, was abducted and this was witnessed by a senior minister um, and, uh, and also his driver. So, so yeah, I mean, the evidence is there that we are existing within a parallel society. And so things such as um, mass viruses, starvation, uh, I mean, these are all things which are um, can be effectuated by what's going off in the background, um, by the hidden hand, by unseen forces. Um, and I know in many respects it sounds terribly conspiratorial, and indeed it actually is conspiratorial. But when you get down to the nitty-gritty and when you get down to languages and begin to deconstruct languages, then you understand really what the Illuminati believe. And they themselves believe that they are descended from um, um, boats or that they are born of a boat the ben Sira. so that's something that we could talk about yeah could you uh go into that in a little bit more detail who they believe that they are descended from and why that's important to them right okay um are, are we kind of officially recording now just oh, oh my apologies i i meant to say that we uh we began as soon as i called you okay that's fine okay well, yeah well um, i'll give you a little bit of detail about that uh, well, the Ben Sira are the sons of a boat. Now, the sons of a boat actually refer to the angels or this angelic class. So, therefore, the word Malak and angel is polymorphic of Malak a sailor. Now, Malak a sailor is related to Melak, which is king. So, the um, descendants of kings are related to angels, and the angels are described as sailors. And therefore, in English, we would uh, describe this analogy as kingship. Kingship is one who is born of a boat. Again, um, um, this is found in many different languages. Um, we find this within polyglottal symbolism, which is wordplays, which repeat, repeat in many languages. So, for example, in the Greek, archon is an angel or a ruler and is related to drakon, um, which is a dragon, which is um, the seraphim. Um, so, but, but again, the, um, the word archon, which is an, an angel or a ruler, 
is um, cognate with the Arabic etymology Akim, which is a sovereign. And Akim is coming from Akan, which is a seraph, which is an old Babylonian word. And again, it's related to Ak, which is to shine. So the bloodline of the king and the monarchs and the noble bloodline, the word noble, noblest, which is highborn, but is related to no, um, and is also noble is also related to navel. There's a morphological switch between the B and the V, which is referring to the classical tradition. Classis is a naval fleet. But again, classis, the naval tradition, uh, which is classical or classified, again, is going back to the angelic tradition. Malak, an angel, is Malak, a sailor. So um, essentially, the bloodline of uh, the nobles, are born from a boat and the, they are correlated with this angelic lineage. And so this is why they are deemed as being special or different. And again, you also find the connotation within English with the English word highness. Highness is referring to the Bene Elohim, the sons of the gods, the sons of the high ones. The word Elohim, a god is polymorphic. It also means one who is I. So, um, so yeah, this is uh, this special lineage, which really traces its uh, its inception back to the Illuminati. The Illuminati is a symbol of Sirius. Um, so we could uh, go into that. So, for example, going back to the analogy of the Ben Sira, son of a boat, Sira is a diptych paranomasia. It's a special wordplay. So Sira um, in Arabic is um, Sirius, but in Hebrew, Sira means a boat. So the Ben Sira, son of a boat, is cognate with Ben Sira, which is a son of Sirius. Now, the sons of Sirius refer to the Illuminati. They also refer to the lineage of the of the Seraphim. So, the um, Seraphim are described with fire signifiers, which denote Sirius. So, the etymology of Sira Sirius is related to Sarah, which is a spark. And this is why, uh, with the Seraphim, the Seraphim's etymology goes back to Sarefa, which is fire. Fire is used as a signifier to refer to this to the Seraphim, which are born or which are affiliated to the star system Sirius. It's also the same with the Jinn as well. The Jinn themselves. Um, are said to originate from Sirius because there is a strong correlation with the idea that the jinn is born from fire and that they are a fiery species, which again is astrotheological of Sirius. And and again, the Elohim themselves are described as um, um, as, as the shining ones, and we find this correspondence with uh, the Watchers. So, for example, you see that there's a correspondence with the etymology of the Elohim. They are the gods or the high ones. And the Erin, the Erin is a watcher or a shining one. Now, the watcher or the shining one is the Seraphim because Sofeth, a watcher, is related to Seraph, a serpent, and Seraph, which is fire. And we know that the Erin um, are likened to serpents or vipers because in the Testament of Amran, now, the name Amran means high nation, but is also used to denote uh, Moses's father. He described the Erin as having the face or a visage like a viper. So the, the, there is this cognate between the Elohim, the high ones, and the uh, paranomasia or wordplay on Erin, which is a watcher or a shining one. The same wordplay is polyglottal. In other words, we find this correspondence in Greek also um, between uh, Theos God Theros, the watcher, and Phos, which is light. And again, even if we wanted to take this back into um, modern ufology, we would find the same wordplay again between greys, gaze, which is to watch, and glaze, which is a luster. So 
again, we're finding these same analogies playing out um, within multiple languages. And um, I describe this as um, the artifact. And the artifact is really the alien code uh, within human language. It points to the inception of this parallel culture or this parallel society, as I describe it, within holographic culture. So that's basically, if you like, a little bit of a rundown of the Illuminati. Um, we could, if you want, have a look at the tripartite now, the three branches of the Illuminati. But I think I'll pause there and I'll let you just interject and see if you've got any questions. Sure. Um, this is this is fascinating. But um, one thing that I, I kind of want to know to start off with is mm. th th we're talking about the Anunnaki, right? When we talk about, you know, uh, the, the okay, angels. Well, Go ahead. Right. Okay. Well, the Anunnaki is um, really um, a variation on what is found in the book of Numbers, which are the sons of Anak, where you get the Hebrew word Anaki, which means gigantic. Now, gigantic is another word for the Nephilim, um, Nafil and Nafil, which is a word play on the giants and, and the fallen ones. So the Nephilim are this progeny between the Bene Helohim, the sons of the high ones, and um, and the sons of Adam. Now, the Nephilim are um, related, astrologically at least, to Nephilia, which is Orion. And this is why they are sometimes referred to as heroes in the Semitic, the Jibberim. But the Jibberim, again, is cognating the Arabic and in the Hebrew with Jibor, which is Orion. So, again, the Anunnaki is really a corruption on the original word Anaki, which would mean gigantic, which would be the, which would be the titans or the fallen angels. The, the titans in the Greek, again, is, is played with the um, old Greek etymology, Titan, which is used to refer to the Satan or, or Satan, which is this um, fallen host. So, yeah. So um, we can, um, I mean, we can also say in in many respects, and I mean, the um, fallen angels can really be understood to be mutineering angels. So um, they broke away from the Elohim or the command structure of the Elohim. And we see certainly within the etymologies of government, again, gubernatio is to steer our, our a, a, um, a boat, a boat uh, which is coming from the Greek root, uh, kubanao, which is to steer a vessel. So the governments are, should we say, the ship of states, um, really refers to this hierarchy, which is mirrored within heaven. And this is where the Illuminati uh, trace uh, their inception. And again, the political cabinets are related to a cabin, and we have the dock of law. Um, and the civil courts, which we we have the um, where well, we have upper government and lower government, which are all representation of the Elohim and and the commoners. But going back into the etymologies, refer um, in, in terms of governments, I think that this is very interesting when you look at the ancient words for government. So, for example, in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for government is shilton, and shilton is related to Satan, which originally was a political adversary or an opponent of a political party. And again, it, it, it's related to the uh, word sultan, which is the um, royal progenitors of the um, shaitan. Um, and, and, and sultan is related to tanim, which is a dragon. So, um, so yeah, this is the bloodline of the dragon, which can be construed to be the seraphim or a sarif or a sarif, uh, which is the noble bloodline. Oh, Does so, that, yeah. uh, do the dragon... Dragons have anything to do with the uh, ancient dragon Tiamat? 
Well, to be honest, um, that's not really my um, specialism. I haven't really studied the ancient um, Akkadian and the Sumerian language. I did touch upon um, some of these etymologies within the murder of reality, but increasingly I've moved away from this because it's just something that I can't verify. And certainly when I did um, some research into the hieroglyphics, I quickly realized that the hieroglyphs are compromised um, in terms of that they're falsified and that the hieroglyphs are incorrect. Now, I know that this is a very strong allegation to say that the hieroglyphs are falsified, but the fact of the matter is is that the glyphs um, are working on word plays and, and so um, they're highly contrived and so this is actually showing um, a very clever deception. And so I'm very cautious when um, reviewing Sumerian and Akkadian etymologies and I go back into the Arabic, into the Hebrew, into the Latin, into the Greek, um, back to the dictionaries that, that I have access to and that can be um, checked. So I'm looking more at the um, modern rendition of the words but many of these words go back into the ancient languages. So basically just like they do nowadays, they were editing, editing and rewriting and using mind control on the population even back then. Absolutely. I think that this is occurring now. And I think that you're also seeing it within um, uh, the new age and in terms of, shall we say, the modern mythology about Tiamat. Um, it's working as a type of myth or an allegory. Now, the wording allegory, allegoria, means other speaking or another speaking. And this is really referring to alias, which is um, a sailor, which again is going back to um, alos, which is other or another. And this is this angelic bloodline, which is represented by alos, which is an halo. The halo is referred, referring to the Illuminati. But they also use um, symbols of circles, which denote their vessels, which are the opening wheels. So there is this, if you, the terminology opening was used to denote a flying saucer. So, for example, there's a correspondence between the root word of ofan, where you, where you get the word pana, which is to turn. So this is a turning or spinning wheel, and ophir, which is the old root meaning gold, which is denoting this shining, turning wheel, which is equated to an angelic carrier or an angelic vessel. And so there is this uh, relationship between um, Malak and Angel and Makau, which is a vessel. Now, the terminology vessel is working very much as in English because the, it's connoting this um, angelic carrier. And you would certainly find that within the Greek as well, between the correspondence of Archon and Olkas, which is a large carrier vessel, which appears in the Latin contraction Arc, which is a large carrier vessel. It's an Arc in the Latin is both a vessel, but is also um, a large boat. But again, Arc has a connotation of something which is curved, so this is a round vessel. And in ancient uh, manuscripts, in, in monastic manuscripts, you actually see that Noah's Ark is represented as this um, circular or round vessel, which is very similar to a flying saucer. And, and so when you're dealing with the seraphim and the seraphic host, which is this non-human um, army, um, they are understood to be crew members of vessels. Um, so if, if, for example, if we go back to Yahweh Seboeth, Yahweh Sabaoth is the Lord of the host. Now, the terminology Sabaoth is related to Saba, which is an army. 
Sevet, which is a crew. But again, Sabah and Am is related to Sefer, which is a seraph. So this uh, Yahweh Sabaoth is the lord of this um, naval host, but this naval host are understood to be seraphic, and they are represented by the opening wheels, which are these angelic carriers. And again, when you actually look at the symbolism of, let's say, the throne chariot, which it would be, which typically is depicted with a deity sitting on the throne chariot, you will often see a wheel which is combined with the serpent, and this is denoting the seraphic host. And so there is this relationship in the um, Semitic language between a seraph and Safina, which is a ship, um, which is uh, which is equated with the seraphic host. One thing that really fascinates me when mm. people like yourself go in and talk about etymology and trace things mm. back, it almost seems to me like in the ancient times, a lot of these different cultures kind of had this almost worldwide unified sort of belief system. Maybe it's the truth for all I know. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that evidence for this is found within the artifact, which is this code within within human language, and it works upon polyglottal symbolism. Now, polyglottal symbolism is wordplays which um, replete repeat throughout multiple languages so for example the old semitic word nua uh, which which is a boy is related to now which is sunlight in english we'd say sun and sun sun being um, a descendant of a of an individual so uh, again but all of this has connotations of the illuminati and this idea of a planted bloodline now this planted bloodline is really the second creation because there are if you like two creations you have the first creation which is um the manifest um, the creation by the absolute of the universe and and the elohim and the, the anthropos which is a human being but the anthropos is also used generically to refer to any sentient species which is self-aware so the anthropos would also be used in the ancient languages to denote the seraphim they were created um with the first creation but the second creation was the corruption of the anthropos and the replanting of, um, of the human seed upon the earth so this is um, the second creation and it's certainly found again with the etymologies of the ben sira son of a boat because sira boat and sira which is sirius is related to um, yet sira which is creation and yet which is a creature so again the boat iconography is appearing and when you look at the opening wheels typically the opening wheels are often represented also as baskets because the basket can be understood to be a vessel but importantly it is understood to be a seed receptacle so the opening wheels were also linked in the fertility cult with the seed receptacles which is equated with the planting of the earth in the um, greek traditions panspermia and the quranic tradition this the second creation but again the second creation is also um, found within um, genesis um, chapter 2 which talks about the um, um, the descendants of heaven and earth so this is found universally throughout all scriptures the the artifact which is this code within human language is found within all scriptures um, but i argue that the artifact is an insertion this insertion has been um, by another species and this insertion has been done on a purpose to a 
to to if you like to encode their existence but also to control how we think and therefore language controls there is a pictorial relationship between imagery and the spoken word as there is also with the phonetic relationship of the word as well and therefore there is a psychic inference drawn between words which are morphologically similar and this is um, bore out within um, word plays and therefore symbols is speaks to the sub subliminal mind it tends to work on polyglottal symbols, symbols which repeat in multiple languages. So there is this universal language which is found within symbolism, and it is this universal symbolism, and it points to the um, artifact. But again, because language is so closely aligned to behavior, uh, the reason why these beings intercepted human language was to control the mind. And if you control the mind, then you control behavior. So rather than that's, create us from scratch, mm, it, it does sound like they indeed took some natively born apes in this world and mm, imprinted mm. genetic code on them to um, make them more um, cognizant or more spiritual and actually more like them, like the, the uh, ancient records say. Um, well, I would perhaps look at it as a different way. I would look at it in terms of the ancient eyes, in terms of the Anthropos, that there was an original uh, proto-human, if you like, this was the ideal human or the model man, which was then, shall we say, um, genetically altered. Again, this would have included DNA from um, species which are um, associated with planet Earth, such as apes, in order to make us viable for this planet. I mean, the evidence, and, and again, within um, the Quranic tradition, Allah is described as the Lord of all of the worlds. And this is referring to the fact that the Elohim are a holographic species. And by this, I mean that they have deconstructed the mechanics of reality. They have deconstructed the waveform. So the Elohim, or the high ones, or the gods, are typically described in paradoxical language. So they are uh, referred to as the Elakea, high creature, but also they can dematerialize. So they are referred to as the Ruach Elohim, the high spirits. The high spirits can also be understood to be a type of jinn. Now, the etymology of jinn uh, comes from the wording jana to hide or to conceal and jinn which is a serpent and this is why the jinn uh, typically is translated um, in the um, hebrew as the seraphim so the arabic word jinn which was coming from the aramaic is typically um, translated as the um, seraphim so there is this correspondence again this would show that the jinn although um, arabic commentators would argue that the jinn are separate from um, the elohim and and are separate from the seraphim i think that the etymological evidence would point otherwise that the jinn are considered to be a fallen um, fallen angels but they are initially connected with the seraphim in particular the jinn which can be translated in the greek as a daemon again coming from the etymology of amon which is to hide or to conceal diamond that which is hidden or concealed through that which is hidden or concealed but um the daemons typically were deemed to be demigods which would then sanctioned bloodline which would make them essentially the nephilim how does, again mm. oh i was gonna ask how does the infamous lucifer morningstar fit into this well lucifer is typically described with signifiers of light which would um, denote that he's a seraphim 
But again, there's a word play on Lassifer, which is um, our Lassifer, which is um, to tell. And again, the um, angels are described, or the seraphim in particular, are described as talkers. So in the uh, Zulu tradition, for example, the Chitahori, or the children of the Python, are typically described as the talkers. And again, as I mentioned earlier with the Akim, which is a sovereign, which is related to Akan, which is a seraph, uh, the terminology Akan, a seraph, is related to Aka, which is to speak. Um, to speak or to talk but again um, the seraph is related to safa which is language within um, the hebrew and again the hebrew language ifrit which is the hebrew language is a paranomasia on ifrit um, which is um, a malevolent type of jinn so it's polyglottal it's found in all languages in in japanese you have uh, the tengu tengu is the heavens which is this reptilian is shown with a large nose they're shown with a large nose because the serpent has an excellent sense of smell so it denotes the serpent and the tengu is a word play on tango which is a word and and again within the arabic you know tabana snake it's related um to um taba which is um a, a, a um, um taba which is an addition of a book so all these word plays are, are found repeated um through multiple languages how about the idea that these beings originally come from Nibiru? Would you agree with that? Or perhaps are they from another planet or hidden dimension even? Well, again, we're going back into the Zachariah Sitchin material. And I think when you deal with Zachariah um, Sitchin, and I'm no, I'm no expert on the Echidian, and as I've said, as I've studied the original Semitic, the Greek and the Latin, and I particularly when you compare the languages, um, I've stayed clear um, from these type of interpretations. I see Zachariah Sitchin's work as a modern mythology. It's a modern allegory. It's written in highly elliptical, highly codified language. And so I wouldn't really take too literally what Sitchin, Sitchin is um, writing about. I would see that he's part of the priesthood. Now, I refer to the priesthood as the disciparati, the deceivers. And so... <coughs> I'm sorry. So I'm naturally um, very cautious about, shall we say, some of the modern interpretations within um, the New Age. And I think that this is has been done on purpose to try and obscure um, the real um, teachings and the real symbolism behind the um, ancient um, insignias. And um, again, I think it's to discredit to discredit this subject within academia because academia controls. The discourse it controls what people think it steers the debate and if academics are not prepared to actually look at let's say the ancient alien hypotheses um, and look at the symbols and how the the fallen gods relate to alien entities um, then then it's not going to be taken seriously within popular culture at the best it's only going to be taken as entertainment so i see that there is actually a psychological operation and again and i know this may be very unpopular with many of your viewers but let's say uh, the flat um, people who believe in flat earth i think again that um, this has been done on a purpose to try and discredit um genuine um academic discourse within this discipline so that people when they when the, when you start talking about aliens instantly they're conditioned to think oh you're a flat earther this is um somebody who's non-scientific who can't think straight so that's that's my take on it and i think that this is very 
They are desperate to keep academia away from this subject. The reason why they are desperate is because this subject is real. It has so many different impacts and implications. I mean, what I talk about within my work has connotations for ancient mythology, for rewriting religion, but also there's scientific um, um, correlations. Um, it would impact, um, it, again, the study of the Pythagorean monochord would have massive implications for the study of physics and science. And again, this idea that the Pythagorean and monochord um, is a string as informed string theory and this idea of relativity um, comes from the ancient Hebrew it's not a new idea the, the Latin word for space is the same as time they understood that time was relative so this is not a new idea and I think it's very important that academics need to they, they need to start waking up and they need to start looking at this discipline because this is a very important discipline now I refer to this discipline or the discipline that I study is scaphology, which is the study of angelic um, boats within the religious and the mythological tradition. It's very much equated with uh, ufology, but the ufological tradition, and again, I describe this as new ufology, which is the study of occult symbolism uh, within ufology. And, and this is um, important because ufology didn't come about in the 1940s. I mean, they were referring to uh, these vessels as flying saucers. In, indeed, um, in the ancient Semitic, um, Syrah boat is, is related. Um, the, the hieroglyph is shown as a wheel. It's a circle within a circle. So you've got a large circle with a small circle in the center, which is used to note Sirius. But this is a wheel, and the wheel is also found within the votive dishes. So the votive dish repeats this pattern of a wheel with a circle in the middle, which is Sirius, but is used to denote um, an opening wheel. And this is because they worship these boats. And so there is this correspondence in the Arabic between Sabaoth, the host, and Sabbath to praise or glorify. It's a polyglottal symbol. We find that in English with the word worship because you are venerating an angelic vessel an angelic vessel which was shown as a votive dish which would collect the offering or the sacrifice to the gods and again the nave of the church is related to navis which is a boat um, again in the ancient greek naus a temple sanctuary would be related to nos which is a boat so again these are all poly formal signifiers or polyglottal um, signifiers which point to the veneration of angelic vessels or boats again even if you want to go back into the japanese tradition i mean this is actually universal it's endemic throughout the world you see that in in the japanese tradition they venerated the utsunothuni which is a hollow tree or a hollow vessel the hollow vessel in the edo prince was shown typically as a flying saucer now in the edo t temples because it's a polymorphic symbol the word Utsunofune means a hollow tree, but also means a hollow um, ship, which is shown as a flying saucer. They would put the hollow trees around the parameters of the temple sanctuary to signify that the temple itself was a type of, um, was denoting the veneration of these vessels or boats, which they equated with the monarchical bloodline or the imperial bloodline. Okay, and skipping ahead a little bit, at what point do we go from sort of this um, overt face-to-face -face interaction with these beings to them slipping behind the scenes? Well, uh, there's always been an interface between the two, between overt contact and covert contact. But you also have to understand that this 
Secret. It's an open secret. We have had disclosure. Believe it or not, we've had disclosure for thousands of years, um, but it's been a limited uh, disclosure. It's been an open secret. And it's it's encoded within our governments, gubernatio to steer a vessel, the ship of state, um, the angels, Malachan angel, Malachan sailor, the classical tradition of mythology. Classis is a naval fleet, which is a classified tradition because it relates to the naval tradition, which is the noble tradition, which goes back to the veneration of these um, entities, worship, religion, religare, the etymology of religion, religare, tomorrow vessel. So this has been known about. It's found in all the symbols around the world. So um, there has always been interaction with these entities, and particularly there's been interaction um, at a secret level, this covert level, and particularly between, let's say, uh, the heads of state, because the heads of state are the arbitrators, if you like, between heaven and earth. And, and again, you, you're finding such connotations also um, with the etymology of the saints as well, um, because the um, saints go back to this um, hidden bloodline as well. So um, Hagios, the saint, is related to Aegis, which is a shield. Now, the shield is another signifier used to denote a boat. So, for example, in the Greek symbolism, Opelon, a shield, is related to Opelite, which is a soldier. Uh, now, in symbolism, this could also denote the angelic host. But again, Opelon, a shield, is related to Pleon, which is a boat. So the shields were adorned on the outside of a boat, but they were also used as a type of missile. So they would stick large shields in catapults, and they would fill them typically full of hot sand and excrement, and then they would fling them as a flying missile. And so they would be like a giant frisbee and they would be used to destroy fortifications and sink ships. So when they referred to um, a flying shield, it was used at one level to connote a boat, but at another level to connote a flying missile, which was equated with a military host. And um, these flying shields um, are, are therefore endemic within symbolism. And it goes back to the um, bloodline of the Illuminati who represents themselves with a shield. So, for example, in the Roman world, uh, many of the proconsuls would be carved inside of a circular shield, which would indicate that they were a descendant of a boat, by inference a descendant of heaven. And when, we, when we're talking about the, the Illuminati, um, well, I find it funny, uh, considering what you were saying earlier about Sitchin, I was really massively into Sitchin um, probably yeah. about 10 years ago. Or so I read every single thing that he wrote down. Uh, but he, Yeah, I read he, a lot of Sitchin. Yeah, I, I still uh, look up to the guy, but uh, one thing he never does is he never ties this to any sort of Illuminati or secret societies or anything like that. There's even that famous story of David Icke approaching him and uh, asking him about serpent cults. And I don't know if it's true or not, but supposedly yeah. Sitchin told him to not go there. So it it, it really begs a question you know maybe you're right maybe he is I, i've heard that he's a freemason things like that perhaps he is part of the brotherhood uh yeah well yeah uh, i mean we can only we can only speculate about that um but um yeah i again i just think it's very difficult to translate the sumerian text because the only way of, allegedly the sumerian texts um have been deciphered through the Akkadian dictionaries, which is basically old Arabic. Um, but 
but again, the Sumerian language is not related to any Indo-European language. And I haven't really seen much evidence that these dictionaries exist archaeologically. So I keep an open mind. And again, what is the Sumerian language? It's not supposed to be an Indo-European language. Um, the Hittite language was um, what, what was essentially Turkish. And the Hittite language was um, broken by um, German scholars. And they used Old High German because of the similarity between Turkish and Old High German. But again, there are so many differences between Old High German and Turkey, um, Old Turkish that uh, the translations must have been at the best extremely problematic you know essentially what you need are turkish scholars doing this type of research into into the hittite language so possibly sumerian could have been uh, the hittite language um but but again you're also getting um some of the oldest um, gospels and some of the oldest ap apocrypha texts go back into the eastern european languages so again the sumerian language could be one of the eastern european languages um as i said i I, I don't know. Um, this is one of the mysteries, and therefore we have to be very careful about his translations. Um, the work that I do is all based upon modern Semitic, but as I said, many of these words are very ancient, so they do go back into the Aramaic. So, so uh, yeah, I'm I'm not going to. I won't go as far as to cash cast dispersions upon um, Sitchin's work because obviously I'm. I, I'm not in the circle of knowledge. All I'm just, all I'm saying is, is that I've studied ancient languages, and I think it's very problematic in terms of um, translating the old Semitic texts, and in particular the Sumerian texts. I don't know how he did it, and so, um, and I'm not, that, I'm not satisfied with the transliteration of the Egyptian hieroglyphs. So um, we've come to a dead end there. I, I, I'm afraid, and that doesn't mean that the hieroglyphs cannot be um, decoded. Maybe if I had 10 years, I could probably decode quite a few of the hieroglyphs. Um, but, you know, that would take out, it would probably take me a lifetime to figure it out. And there are just other books that I want to write and that I want to focus on. Sure. And let's go ahead and uh, move move forward in the timeline a little bit then. Mm -hmm. um, you did want to get into the Illuminati a little bit. You said, that, you said something yeah. about there being three factions. That sounds supremely interesting. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, there are three orders of the Illuminati. I refer to them as the tripartite Illuminati. And essentially, you've got uh, the human order, which is found in the symbolism in the Hebrew between Ishman, Esh, which is fire, You've got the seraphic element, which are these non-human angels, which are referred collectively as the seraphim. So you've got seraph, which is a serpent, serepha, which is fire. And then you've got the neophytes, which uh, connotes this grafted lineage. And again, the grafted lineage is typically symbolized with a family tree. And again, rose iconography is often used to denote uh, grafted lineage because um, roses are very easily grafted, as is also ivy. So these are all symbols of this grafted lineage. But you see that there's a correspondence between neophytos, um, which are the newly planted, Futon, which is a plant, and Fot, which is light. So 
again, the three orders of the Illuminati are human, non-human, and um, and grafted. And and the grafted element is really this synthesis between heaven and earth. But essentially, within the angelic host or within the angelic orders, you see what is essentially the seraphim cherubim dialectic. The seraphim cherubim dialectic is this, shall we say, division between the cherubim, which are the human angels, which are represented with a sword, cherub, which is a sword, and then the seraphic angel, which is represented as a serpent, which is non-human. The seraphim and the cherubim typically appear together within biblical and apocryphal exegesis, and so uh, they are working together, and they are part of what I describe as a covenant of worlds, which um, intersect symbolically or astrotheologically with Orion. Orion is an interesting place because Orion is the star constellation in which the Adamic human was created and also the um, grafted um, or or the Nephilim were created, the uh, abomination, which really was this unsanctioned lineage. So, but the, so the, so they are um, the three orders of the Illuminati. Again, if you wanted to take the three orders of the Illuminati into the classical world, world uh, you can take this into um, classical philosophy with the Pythagorean Euclidean dialectic. So Pythagoras would refer to Puthosagoras, the speaker of the serpent, and then you would have Euclid. Euclid is a diptych paranomasia, so it's a special type of wordplay from the Greek uh, into the um, Hebrew, so into the Arabic, sorry. So Euclid is coming from uh, the um, Arabic root, Euclid, which is to copy or to ape, because um, sacred geometry or mathematics. He wrote the treaty on um, sacred geometry, the elements of geometry. So Euclid is to copy or to ape, and Kurd is an ape. And the ape is used as a signifier of the human genome. It's used as to signify this uh, human tradition. So if, if you like, the secret societies, they partition themselves as two orders. In, in this respect, this would be the humanist tradition. The humanist tradition refers to the cherubim, uh, which is the Euclidean tradition. And then you've got the Pythagorean tradition, which is the serpent tradition, which is this non-human knowledge. And the, this is represented by two pillars of Freemasonry. But if you like the hidden pillar, which is the third pillar, which is not seen, but is always connoted, is this synthesized, this grafted, or this stitched bloodline. Again, grafting and stitched is um, referred to within the ancient etymologies. So um, in in English, for example, an imp would refer to um, a, a devil, but again, it's coming from the Greek etymology, um, emphuin, which is to graft. And, um, and and so this the imp can be understood to relate to a scion. A scion is a polymorphic word because it means not only a noble family, but is also used to denote um, the act of grafting as well. So a scion refers to a graft. So um, it's it's there. It's encoded within our language. You would find the same encodings within the Chinese language, the Japanese language, any language you choose to look at because it's working on polyglottal symbolism. Polyglottal symbols are these parallel thought formations which reveal this universal grammar. This universal grammar is this insertion, which is the artifact, which is this code within human language, which is extraneous um, to human language and, and has been inserted into human language, um, both in terms to effectuate subliminal thought, 
to affect you, but also it works at a symbolic level. So there is this um, control through the subconscious mind. In the ancient Greek, this would be the irrational, and the, the irrational mind is the subconscious mind, and the rational mind is the conscious mind. And then this go, then goes back into psychoanalytical theory. <coughs> So, yeah, I'll just take a little pause there. I'll let you gather your thoughts. And um... Well, my next question would be modern aliens. I've always, yeah. you know, reading Sitchin, I've always thought to myself, okay, uh, Sitchin's telling me that these beings came from other planets, but every story that I hear about alien abductions, I hear about little mm. gr- creepy little gray aliens with big eyes, little slip mouths and stuff like that. Are mm. these seraphim, are, are they the, the reptilians that command the gray aliens? All right. I mean, this is a really good question. And I think and again, there's two entry points into this. There is the etymological entry point and then there is also the anecdotal entry point, And then you have to try and balance the two together. My understanding of this is that Seraphim is a much larger uh, reptilian race. The Seraphim are identified with Sirius, but they also but they also seem to be connected uh, to the grey alien. And so, for example, with the uh, watchers or the shining ones, they communicate telepathically. And therefore, when a person receives a telepathic communication, typically they see light. And this is often confused with the being turning into a being of light. I don't actually think that this is the case. I actually think that what's happening is that they're communicating telepathically and they communicate using light. And therefore, um, and so therefore they're registered as the shining ones, but the shining ones is also used to denote um, their home or the astrotheological symbolism, which uh, they're equated with, which is Sirius. Sirius is the shining one, the sparkling one. Sarah is the spark, as we said. Seraph is related to Serepha, which is fire, as are the jinn. The jinn are born from fire. So uh, the grey alien and the seraphim are separate, but in the anecdotal traditionally, in the anecdotal traditions, they are certainly typically represented together. So you will often see larger reptilian entities working in conjunction uh, with these um, grey entities. And both of these types of entities can communicate using uh, telepathy, which is um, using some type of um, photon in order to read the mind of the subject. So, And, and I think also when you actually bring this back um, – to uh, modern abduction i think what's actually very fascinating is that when you look at uh let's say yahweh saboath lord of the host saboath is related to the old etymology salb which is abduction again in the uh, roman mysteries this would be the nymphaleptos the nymphaleptos um is to be stolen um, by the nymphs um and again um nymph which is a nymph um is means a bride so there is this idea of um sexual um shall we say molestation and and the nymph is closely concordant in the roman mysteries with the nubagina the offspring of a cloud again the cloud can be used to connote the jinn and the nubagina the offspring of a cloud is again is related to nubia which is to marry so there is this idea of abduction which is um, connected to um, sexual intercourse um, but you're also finding this within the Greek traditions and, and also the traditions of the seraphim. So as I said before, Saboath is the um, angelic host, is related to Saab, which is abduction. But uh, with the seraphim as well, Shover, seraph and Shover, and, and it's working on uh, morphological permutations on the word seraph, uh, Shover is a captor. But again, 
the seraphim in the Greek traditions are the harpy. And so the etymology of harpy, which um, is shown in the Greek symbolism, typically as a woman, um, an avian woman or a half woman, half bird. Uh, Typically, um, the harpies are shown with shields. And again, the shield is used to denote um, the opening wheels or denote these um, flying um, vessels or shields. Um, But again, Apu is an abductor is related to apto, which is to radiate, opalite, um, erpaton or reptile. So apto to radiate an erpaton or reptile is seraph and serepha, which is fire, which is shover and an abduct, um, a captor, which is a harpy, which is apue and abductor. And as we said before, is related to both pleon a boat and op- oplon a shield. And, and the shield, as I mentioned before, is the signifier of this angelic boat or a vessel, which is the flying host. But uh, again, when you go back into the Aramaic, and, and this is very interesting when you're looking at certainly the Greek symbolism of deities, because you'll typically find within Greek symbolism, you'll see a, a goddess with a shield, and the shield represents a boat or a ship with a serpent inside hidden in the shield. And this is working on the old Aramaic. So, for example, Janna is to hide or to conceal, which is related to Junna, which is a shield because it conceals or guards one and is related to jinn which is a type of supernatural being jen which is a serpent or a worm and again this is denotational of the seraphic host as we said before saboath is the angelic host which is related to saba host or army sephath which is a seraph which is the seraphic host so again and, and again it's denoting this non these non-human entities would that apply to the the uh, deity from Mesoamerica, Quetzalcoatl, as well? Yeah, the, the symbolism is uniform. I'm not going to talk about the um, um, Mesoamerican traditions because that's not my expertise. I did, have, in my initial research many years ago, I looked into the Mesoamerican traditions, and I'm convinced that they're using the same symbolism and they're talking about the same thing. But that is not my expertise. But it's there. It can be found within those languages. And so would you – now, a lot of people, when we talk about these sort of subjects, conspiracy in general, the Illuminati, um, they'll mm. talk about the uh, the synagogue of Satan or the, um, the false Hebrews, things of that nature. Would you say that there's truth to that or is that uh, completely false and anti-Semitic? Any thoughts on that at all? That's not really an area of expertise that I've uh, read into. You see, I think sometimes, and again, when I do talk to different uh, YouTubers and different individuals, there's often a tendency to think that I'm very well read up on, shall we say, um, modern conspiracy theories or um, what's happening in in, in terms of um, current thinking. But I'm so immersed in my own uh, academia de- deconstruction and my own research that it's all pervasive and so time consuming that I really have very little time to look into other people's work I mean I do obviously you know I've read the Dead Sea Scrolls and I've read the scriptures and I've deconstructed the language and I've understood that but that is immensely time consuming if you want to um, explain a little bit more about that and tell me a little bit about um, the symbolism then I'm quite happy to comment on that and give you my viewpoint well, there's a particular family name that comes 
comes to play anytime we talk about mm. Illuminati, the, the Rothschild family that uses the okay. um, Star of David as their symbol. Yep. It's my understanding mm. this comes from sometime around the 1500s. And obviously, they're, they're very active in the, the world stage with their uh, political manipulations and fundings of various research. And mm. also, um, Israel itself, Israel seems to be a, a very large part of some sort of goal that these hidden ones have this Illuminati, it seems to matter to them for some reason. I'm not going to pretend like I know why, but as a person who is raised Christian, I am familiar with the book of Revelations, and I know that yeah. Israel plays a big role in, in that. Um, I was just wondering if, if you had any, any thoughts on that, or if you had heard anything that might be interesting. Well, I, I do see that this phenomenon, what we're speaking about, is actually universal. So what's relevant for a European audience may not be so relevant for a Chinese audience. These are all systems of control. When we actually look at the um, descendants of the Hebrews, they were considered to be born from the Elohim and that they were related to this special bloodline. So again, I think that this is where the symbolism is, is coming from, but this is also the same of the Illuminati as well. I think when you're looking at this symbolism, it is very complex. And again, uh, there's lots of different competing agendas. Uh, some of these um, agendas are, shall we say, conspiratorial, some are political, some may be anti-Semitic, and some may be very humanistic as well. So it's very difficult to actually draw, um, sim simple, um, to simplify this. Um, it, it, it's a very complex subject. Um, I, I um, you know... In in a, in a sense, I'm I am very optimistic. I'm optimistic because I think a lot of this information is now coming out, and I think it's not so much about um, pointing fingers at people. It's actually more about trying to educate ourselves and trying to improve the human race and make ourselves um, better and, and, and work towards common goals and to work towards commonalities. Uh, I think the problem is is that because this has been secret, then there's been a lot which has been perpetrated. Uh, through secrecy and this has led invariably to um, warfare crime and a lot of this crime shall we say has gone unaccounted for and this is now beginning to open up i think with the internet you're beginning to see that there is much more of a shall we say level playing field that doesn't mean that we don't have to be cautious it doesn't mean that we have to dispel all logic but it, it in some respects, we have to be a little bit more cautious because there's more information and there's certainly more disinformation. Because if you like, the disciparati, the deceivers, and the word disciparati in the Latin relates to the word disciple because the disciple was actively deceived. But the disciparati, they control this knowledge and they know that this knowledge is leaking out. So how do you stop the knowledge leaking out? Well, you can't really stop it leaking out. But what you can do is saturate the Internet with disinformation. And I think that that's what they're doing. They're taking information which is coming out and they're diluting it. And they're diluting it by a lot of rubbish. And this is what we're actually seeing. So in some respects, in terms of, let's say, studying scaphology, which is the study of these angelic boats or vessels within the religious and mythological tradition, which I describe as new ufology, some of the problems is, is that academia is not taking, shall we say, the alternative field very seriously because there is so much disinformation there. And so we have to be very rigorous and we have to be very scientific and we also have to be very critical in our thinking. You know, I, I think we really need to 
tighten up and we need to we need to also start looking at some of the symbolism within let's say the um, Nibiru traditions as being allegorical that this is being put out by the modern priesthood and it's being put out in order um, to veil the truth and usually when they veil the truth they tell you, they tell you the truth but they also veil it uh, within a lie or they wrap the truth with a lie and so it becomes very convoluted and very difficult to unravel and, and to deconstruct the truth. Yeah, that that is yeah. Uh, fascinating to say the least. Especially, mm. uh, well, one one thing that comes to mind obviously would be the Bible. There are a lot of accusations that the Bible was heavily edit, edited. Obviously, a lot of proof out there as well. Would mm. you say that the Bible has been so edited that it is it doesn't have as much value, or would you say it's still good to sit down and, and read the Bible sometimes? What are your thoughts on the Bible in general? Yeah, I think it's it's very complicated. I think you can find beautiful spiritual truths within the Bible, and you also find lies. It's a complicated book. It was written over many centuries, and and there are many different angles. In particular, you've got the um, Catholic Church, and you've got the editing of, um, shall we say, a Roman slant towards the um, mysteries of Jesus, which points to um, uh, the, the Gnostic traditions and which goes back into a lot of very interesting um, research and, and many interesting ideas. I think a useful analogy for us to look at the scriptures is actually if we look at the Quranic discourse, because there is something within um, Quranic exegesis known as um, Wuju al-Quran, now, Wuju al-Quran literally means the forgotten Quran. It can also mean a, a facet of, of the Quran, and, and it's really the interpretive aspect of the Quran. Now, Wuju al-Quran, it's polymorphic. It, 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 it has this additional meaning. So the hidden Quran has this additional meaning of a polymorphic word. This is a word with multiple forms. And this is because the Quranic discourse is written in polymorphic language. It's highly elliptical. It's highly codified. And it's this codified discourse which is based upon levels of initiation, levels of understanding. As we said before, the disciple, the Latin word disciple, is uh, related to um, the root disciparati, which are the deceivers. And so the disciple is actively um, deceived. And it's the same with the Quranic discourse, that the Quran is written at many different levels. And um, it's a very sophisticated book, but it's it, it's a book of occult symbolism. It's a book of initiation. And this is how the scriptures are. Those scriptures work in exactly the same way. You know, um, as we said before, um, Ivrit, which is the Hebrew language, is related to Ifrit, which is a type of jinn. And and again, uh, Shaitan is related to Shatir, which is to be clever. The serpent, Sapient, which is to be um, clever. So these are all word plays which are pointing to the corruption of language, which is the artifact. So this correspondence between uh, Seraph and um, Safa, which is um, language, um, which relates to Sefa, which is a book, as we said also in Arabic, you've got um, Taban, which is a snake, which is related to Taba, which is an edition of a book. So the books and the scriptural tradition have been informed through um, the Pythagorean, well, okay, through the serpent tradition, but in the classical tradition, this would be the Pythagorean tradition, which is one who is a speaker of the serpent, uh, which is this non-human element, uh, which are found with, within the angelic host. Wow. <laughs> so Fascinating. Um, another concept that you mentioned in one of your books is the white priesthood of Israel. Would mm. you mind explaining that a little bit? 
Yeah, I think that was in the murder of reality, and and uh, I. I wrote that a long time ago, but essentially when you're looking at the Levitical priesthood, you see that there's a correlation between Levite and um, Lev, which is heart, and Lavi, which is lion. So the Levites represent themselves as lion heart. The lion heart are, are the, the um, noble bloodline, which can be represented as lion heart, goes back to the Levites. Now, the etymology of Levite, again, is related, um, as I said before, lev, which is heart, which in the Greek would denote the cardinals. Cardia is heart. So the cardinals of the Roman Catholic Church at least trace their inception or their lineage back to the Levitical tradition. But I think what's very interesting when you look at the Leviticus priesthood, which is represented by the lion, the lion connotes Orion. But when you look at the Leviticus priesthood, you see that there's a relationship between Lev, which is a heart, um, and uh, but, but it's a claleptical symbol. And a claleptical symbol is where you switch the word for another word of the same meaning, but it opens up the symbol. And so, for example, Lev, which is heart, which is denotational of the Levitical priesthood in Roman Catholicism, Jesus is shown with the heart, which would denote cardia or cardinal, the Leviticus priesthood. But lever heart, when you render it into Arabic, is kalb, which is heart, and is related to kalb, which is a dog. The dog is Alkal, which is the dog star. So the heart is used, and it's a flaming heart, so it's used to denote uh, the dog star. The idea is um, loving the dog star, which has this connotation of worshipping the dog star, the dog star being the home of the seraphim or the seraphic host. Something just came to mind. Uh, You mentioned that that the um, Orion is represented by a lion. Could that have something to do with the Gnostic portrayal of Yaldabaoth, the head of the Archons? Yes, that's right. That's, this is the Demiurge. So Demiurgos, which is the creator of the material world, which is essentially the corruption of the Anthropos, which is the genetic engineering of mankind. Well, Demiurgos means public craftsman. And the public craftsman is the craftsman who created the public, which is the genetic engineer, which goes back in the Greek traditions to panspermia, which in the Quranic tradition is the second creation. So, yes, essentially, you're dealing with it. But the lion is used to denote, again, it's it's like the monkey, it's used to de- denote the human humanist tradition or the human element and it's often combined with a serpent which would indicate a grafted bloodline now the reason why a cat is used is because with the exception of um, great apes the cat is the closest genetic um, ancestor to humans the cat genetically is almost but not quite as close genetically related to a human being as what a chimpanzee is so the cat again denotes this uh, human element and again the lion is is feeding into the symbols of the watchers but this again would be uh, what i refer to as duplex symbolism so this kind of reversal of symbology so sofa for watch is related to seraph which is a serpent but again you've got the idea of the lion which is a hunter or is a predatorial which watches and so it's the playing with the symbology and you're seeing this inversion within symbology all the time and uh, the symbol is context dependent and again it's often locked and you have what are known really as well i describe them as switching signifiers so the symbol can switch and it's usually um well it's context dependent so for example could be dependent upon astro theology numerical symbolism geometria it becomes very complex but we can really understand the symbol as an encyclopedic uh, as almost like an encyclopedia it it 
in in a symbol it combines multiple ideas and um and is context dependent and so unlocking language is the key to unlocking symbolism so if you want to study symbolism there's no point getting a book out on um symbolism because most books on symbolism have not studied language so you're only going to get the outer meaning the inner meaning is encoded within the word place and the language so for example if you wanted to study Catholicism, you, you would have to study Greek, Hebrew, and Arabic because many of the word plays are working in multiple languages. When we have these famous pop stars like Lady Gaga, Miley Cyrus, mm. women like this going up on Super Bowl halftimes and performing, is this the language you're talking about, this symbolism? Is this coming from them when we see the goat symbolism and the wings and stuff mm. of that nature? Mm. Well, again, yeah, the goat in the ancient etymology is related to um, the chimera, and the chimera is related to um, – I'm trying to remember the word, but it's related to the old word for the Pleiades. So goat symbolism. Again, you've got the shaggy goat, which um, is horned, and the horn is used um, – coron and keren, which is horn and radiant. So the horn is used to denote the illuminati or that which shines. So it has a connotation of the corruption of the anthropos, the goat, which is denotational of the jinn or the fallen angels. But essentially it was used originally to denote um, the Pleiades. The Pleiades is linked or aligned to this um, proto-human lineage, which was described by the cherubim angels. Is it true so, that the Catholics have collaborated with fallen angels? I think uh, all of the governments and all of the religious institutions have. But again, how, what do you define as a fallen angel? It gets very complicated. It's very factional. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, so for example, you know, in, in human terms, who would you describe as the good guys? Would you describe the Americans as the good guys or the Chinese as the good guys? I mean, there are more Chinese than Americans, so maybe the Chinese are the good guys. Or maybe not. Maybe uh, maybe the Africans are the good guys because they kind of stay out of everything politically, but maybe actually they're not the good guys. You know, it's so complicated. I was you know? having a lot of trouble with that myself because, you know, when, when I was privately trying to study some of this stuff, I was looking back at the ancient history and I'm like, okay, mm. um, this one, this God is bad. This faction is good, but well, maybe mm. that's not true either. I don't really know who are the good guys just, and who are the bad guys. Yeah, and I think also the difficulty here is that, uh, and I made a reference to this in The Murder of Reality, my first book, is that the good and the bad guys may not actually be human. So again, how do you define this? And and again, some of the humans can be the good and the bad guys. You know, you can reverse that. So it's 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 not that easy. And I think when you look in the world, I'm very optimistic. I mean, I see that humanity generally, um, most human beings are good at heart. I really believe this. And most people who are, shall we say, psychotic are bad are for two for two basic reasons. There's a biological reason because they've been hit on the head and they've got brain damage. Yeah, they, they're not wired up correctly. And the, or the other reason is because they have been hurt in some way and they're projecting that hurt onto another individual. And the third reason is ignorance. And this really is the biggest reason. You know, in the Second World War, um, the soldiers fighting on all sides were ignorant. They were not being told the truth and they displayed the absolute worst of what humanity is capable of and they also um displayed the the most um kind and and the most noblest of human traits so the in the in the war there was no really such thing as the good and the bad guys because the, the people were 
if you like, responding to the situation on the ground. Some people responding in a very noble way, whether they're German, Japanese, English, and, and some people weren't. Some people were responding in a very negative way. But most of the people who were responding in a negative way were responding through ignorance. And I think that this is so important because if we can clear up the ignorance, and in the um, ancient Greek etymology, ignorance is related to death. So if we can sort out ignorance, then we can actually begin um, to um, create life, create um, abundance. And this is so important. So this is where we're at at the moment. This is the crossroads of humanity because the Internet is the year dot. We're standing on something which is very special and which, if utilized properly, could bring a lot of balance to the world. And so it is a question of how we bring this knowledge to the world and how we bring balance to the world. We need to bring equilibrium to the world. This one's a little bit out of less left field, so it's a little bit of a different question, but I'm dying mm. to know your thoughts on it. Any thoughts on the concept of demonic beings, demons, and possession? Uh, yeah, I think that's very – it's pretty easy when you go back into the ancient Semitic languages. So, for example, in the Arabic, you've got Karin, which is a type – of jinn. Karin is related to Kayin, which is an entity. Erin, which is a watcher or a shining one. As I said, the Erin, uh, the type of Elohim, Elohim and Erin. Uh, the watchers or the shining ones were described by Amran as having the face like a viper, so they were the seraphim. Hence the connection between um, seraph and um, sofa for watcher and seraph. But all that aside, the word Karin is related to Kari, which is telepathic. And so they can insinuate themselves into the human mind and they can speak and control the human subject um, in, shall we say, an in, in an hypnotic way. And therefore, in the ancient languages, there is this relationship between majun, which is madness, which literally is to hide or to conceal the intellect. Jana in the Arabic is to hide or to conceal, is related to jinn, old Semitic jinn, a serpent or worm. But again, you're finding it in the Greek and the Latin. Uh, you've got a daemon, which is related to demens, which is out of one's mind. In English, we'd say dementia. So when the mind begins to break down, the demonic elements can insinuate themselves and they can insinuate themselves within the human mind. And I think when you begin to add, uh, when you begin to factor in things such as artificial intelligence and that artificial intelligence itself may be telepathic, may be able to respond to the individual, may be connected to the host, then that actually begin, that actually begins to ask a lot of interesting questions such as, uh, as in the Turing test, you know, can a human, can a computer fool a human being? And if a computer is capable of fooling a human being, could a computer which is teleological, which belongs to the host, could that fool a human being? Are our thoughts all our own thoughts? Is there a degree of insinuation? Are these beings just interacting with certain individuals? Uh, for example, people who think outside of the box, geniuses, are they, um, are they responding in a positive way, giving humanity knowledge or in a negative way? Is it a little bit of both? So, again, these are all fascinating questions when you begin to look at the nature of consciousness. And you've you've talked quite a bit about these these angelic boats and these arcs and things of that Absolutely. nature. D does this mm. reflect a type of scaphology? Does this represent a mm -hmm. type of technology that is higher dimensional? Is this some sort of like metal or wood that is perhaps of a higher dimension? Right. Etheric maybe? 
the answer to that is extremely complex, but the answer is yes to both questions and no to both questions. So, yes, uh, within the symbolism, uh, these objects are the shields um, in the Roman mysteries, the Anseal, which um, dropped um, from he from heaven, which was a large shield, which was um, hidden by the um, um, Salian priesthood. Again, uh, wordplay on, on Sally, which is to jump, but... Um, alien, which is a foreigner, which is a type of alien, related to Alnus, which is a boat. So this, these shields were hidden underneath temples, so they were physical objects. But the thing is, is that they've deconstructed the mechanics of reality. And what does this mean? Well, it means that the LRK, which is a high creature or a living god or a, high, uh, a living god, the terminology is polymorphic. We would say an extraterrestrial biological entity, but they can de dematerialize so therefore therefore they're also known as the ruakeloim or the high spirits or a jinn but in addition um so these um shields um or these entities can um, dem dematerialize so they're both physical and non-physical but not only this uh there is an added complexity to this as well and this is that i mean we ourselves are becoming um are moving towards the apotheosis to become like a god and to become like a god is really a holographic culture a holographic culture is a culture that has deconstructed the mechanics of waveform reality they can materialize as a particle they can dematerialize as a spirit they exist outside of time and they can interact and um and um and, and are multi-dimensional but once you get to the position where you can break down the barriers of time and space then you begin to enter what are the subtler realms, which are the spiritual realm. And so not only have they interpenetrated the physical realm, but they have also um, intercepted the spiritual realm. Now, the spiritual realm is the imaginal realm. Plato refers to this as the universal realm of universal ideas. In quantum physics, this implicated order, which is explicated or is manifested in the physical world. And therefore, when you go into things such as near-death experiences, people, when they describe their near-death experiences, typically will talk about near-death in a, almost dreamlike or a hallucinogenic way. And this isn't because the brain is dying and it's hallucinating, but there is a connection between the dream state and the imaginal realm, which is the spiritual realm. It's because that they're actually going into the realm of pure ideas of pure thoughts now meditation is about aligning oneself to dream states and to these um, imaginal realms or spiritual realms because if you can traverse the dream realm then you can traverse the imaginal realm which is the spiritual realm and then you can control your incarnation either past or future it doesn't really exist or a, or a better version of what is the present so you could be incarnated into the past or into the future so these beings they have um, gone into the dream world they've gone into what you describe as the dream time so not only are they physical interdimensional spiritual but they're also um of penetrated the imaginal realm the realm of ideas so they're also at a psychological level they've also deconstructed the mind the mind of the living universe so it's it's a very complex answer um but but human beings we're very close to doing this ourselves um what you're finding at cern and remember um where they're these um, particle colliders and again the the um 
the um, acronym CERN um, is a word player on the Aramaic root San, which is a saucer. San is um, is is related um, to these flying saucers, which um, um, well, which basically materialize and dematerialize, which are part of what we're talking about. So, so complicated to answer, but yes, they are physical, and no, they're not physical. And yes, they are. In- <laughs> and no, they're not into Well, well great, great answer yes, in any psychic. case. No, they're not psychic. But yes, all of the all of the above. Well, that's supremely interesting, and it actually fills in a lot of blanks for me personally when thinking about these sort of yeah. concepts. Because oftentimes, um, it, you you hear people talk about reptilians and and things like that, even the Anunnaki as fourth dimensional, mm. and that's kind of hard to explain. Mm. But it's kind of like mm. this in between dimension, in between like mm. um, existence and imagination. Mm, you, exactly. Yeah, but what about what about Christ, mm. um, Jesus Christ? How does he fit into this? Was he real, and was he trying to free us from this control? I think that's a very complicated um, answer. I don't feel that I'm the best person to really answer that. Um, I I think. <laughs> I think the Christian Gospels are, are supremely interesting, and I think there are some very beautiful teachings within the Gospels, and also particularly within the Gnostic traditions as well. I think that they've also been blended by the Roman death cult, which has somewhat tainted the, shall we say, the beauty of the teachings, which is um, a shame. So I, I think, again, with any type of religious teaching, you have to be careful. You should take that which is beautiful about the teaching, and you can apply that to your life. But again, you have to be very careful. You know, there is this uh, again, within Pauline theology, there is this focus upon um, death, which is indicative of this death cult, which again goes back into blood sacrifice. And this really goes back to the worship of the jinn. Um, so, for example, in the um, Greek traditions, you have what's known as the Lamia, which is a female, which is represented with a serpent's body. But the Lamia is coming from the Aramaic etymology, Lami, which is to shine. As we said, the serpents or the watchers are represented as the shining ones, which are again are related to the gods in the Greek, Theos God, Theoros a watcher, Phos, which is light, which again, Theos a god is really related to Therion, which is a beast. The beast is represented as the dragon, Dracon, which is um, Dracane, which is to watch or to flash. It's coming from this root. But anyway, the terminology Lamia is a female jinn, and she was said to um, drink blood and is equated with Lamaros, which is gluttonous, Lambanane, which is to take hold of, which is to grasp, and um, uh, which is to grasp. We would say dragon and to drag are in the Greek. Uh, Soros, which is a lizard, Suro, which is to take or to grab. But again, the Lamia can be understood to be a type of ghoul. Um, in the Arabic, Gule is a female jinn and is related to Gule, which is greedy, in the same way that Lamia is related to Lamaros, which is uh, gluttonous. But again, Gule is related to Gala, which is to seize. So they can be understood to be a type of abductor, as in a harpy, Arpue, an abductor. And the ghoul were represented with the signifier of Galgal, which is a wheel. The wheel is another representation of the opening wheels, which is an angelic carrier. And indeed, the terminology in the Bible of Galgal, a wheel, is used as a metonym to denote the opening wheels, which are these angelic carriers. So, yeah. A lot of... A lot of the ancient texts and stories you hear about a lot of even nowadays with modern conspiracy talk, you hear a lot about yeah. blood sacrifice and goats being sacrificed, yeah, I, even humans. What's yeah, going I, on there? Well, again, it's going back to the worship of the jinn. So, for example, uh, with the jinn, you've got gull, which is a blood sucking type of, of jinn. 
with his wordplay or paranomasi on goo, which is un- uh, hungry. But again, with the jinn, you've got the same wordplay on jian, which is hungry. And again, in uh, the Greek also, lamia is related to limos, which is ho- um, hunger. So these wordplays are polyglottal. And when you actually look at the uh, depictions in films of the Nosferatu, the Nosferatu actually looks very similar to a grey alien, very large, pale head. Um, often very dark eyes. Sometimes the eyes are shown as shining to denote the shining ones, which would be a signifier of the serpent. And typically the alien is linked into cattle mutilation. But this is um, copying the veneration of these angelic vessels. As we said before, the votive plate is um, denotational of the hieroglyph Sirius, which is a uh, uh, depicted as a wheel the wheel is an opening wheel hence the correspondence between Saba which is to praise or to glorify and Saboth which is the host in English we would say worship because they were venerating these ships which are found within religion religare tomorrow vessel or within the church which is the nave and navis which is a boat or a ship so the signifiers are universal they're polyglottal when um, when everything comes together in the future, are these guys planning to create a, a new world order that seems to be where things are headed? And at that point, are they going to disclose the truth or will that never happen? You know, I, the truth has been disclosed now and it always has been disclosed, but it's been disclosed through symbolism in the same way in the alternative media. The truth has been disclosed, but often again it's been disclosed through a private discourse, which is allegorical, this other speaking, which refers to the others, um, which can be represented as a sailor or a lordship. These are all signifiers. I mean, yeah, um, if you look at the traditions in the Quran of the second creation, uh, it, it states that this, he will undertake the second creation. So the implication is is that the second creation is not complete. And the second creation in the biblical tradition would be the establishment of God's kingdom on the earth, which is um, the Elohim. Now, if this is the case, then there would have to be disclosure because then the Catholic Church would have to disclose that Malachi Angel is Malachi Sailor, which refers to those of a vessel which equate to the opening wheels, which are these ships which originate from Sirius and panspermia, the planting of life on the earth. So the traditions would infer in themselves that there will be a full disclosure, which would be the apocalypse, apocalyptic to unveil within the Greek, which is closely concordant with the rapture. Now, the wording rapture is related to rapier, which is um, to abduct, and repier, which is a reptile. The reptiles are the abductors, are the um, um, seraphim, seraph shover, which is a captor, or in the ancient Semitic traditions, erin, which are related to the awim, which are the serpents, are the destroyers. So, yeah, essentially, uh, the knowledge about the seraphim will become, shall we say, more transparent as time moves on. I hope so, because this is really some fascinating fascinating stuff, and it, it really ties together the whole reptilian mystery as well mm-hmm. as the, the ancient mysteries as well. What about the yeah. concept of giants? Are they hiding giant bones when they're found? Any thoughts on that? Are they doing that to hide everything that we've been talking about here? Well, again, I think a lot of the um, photographs of the, of the giant bones are um, – are falsified and again i think that often it's working on symbolism just remember that the etymology of the giants the gibberim is related to gibber which is orion so it's used as an astro theological marker that doesn't mean that these entities um, these entities may have been larger than humans but um i think also with 
with astrotheological symbolism. Well, so, um, yeah. Well, we are uh, we are approaching the end end of the interview, but I do want to just ask you real quick before we we call things to a close, Pierre. Uh, when you're not studying etymology and things of this nature, what do you do for fun? Do you have any hobbies? Well, before all of this, I wanted to be a painter, and that didn't kind of work out. I was kind of painting portraits. Um, I like to illustrate my books, and so I draw in order to illustrate my books. I I play with my children and, and have a very simple life. I do, my life is just very simple. I kind of um, work, I do Tai Chi and play with the children, and that's just very simple. I have a very fulfilling life. I'm, I am very, very lucky, um, you know, if it – so yeah, that's um, so yeah. I love that. I, I'm somebody that. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm 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 very interested in art as well. But the problem is, is that this research has just overwhelmed me. And I got into this type of research through studying semiotics at university, which is the study of signs. Uh, I adapted the words and I used the terminology illuminotics, which is the studying of the signs of the Illuminati. So semiotics, which is really the deconstruction of signs, which is useful in terms of um, analyzing systems of propaganda. Again, it feeds into this discourse of symbolism, which is this private discourse. Well, you have a very unique and in-depth understanding of, of the entire concept. Uh, would you consider yourself a little bit of a genius at etymology and tracing these words and lineages? I think my understanding of this is very fragmentary. I think it's very complicated because my specialism, shall we say, is linguistic. But when you look at symbols, there are also astrotheological symbols, numerical, numerical symbolism, geometria, geometry. And so there are many, so many different disciplines within symbols that it would take multiple lifetimes in order to study the subject. And I'm trying to look at it from a linguistic perspective, but I've also done some work into, shall we say, sacred geometry and mathematics, which I would like to publish uh, late, later on. Um, I think I have a propensity for pattern recognition, and I think not so much for language, but more for pattern recognition. Um, so, and I think that that is very useful because you have to think outside of the box. You have to. What happens with uh, language? I think, and and again, a lot of this was self-taught. So, for example, um, morphology was the biggest breakthrough within linguistics, where um, scholars understood that um language that languages uh, and the morphology of words change over time or um change through corruption or through transliteration but um i recognize this in- intuitively so for example when i was writing the murder of reality i'd never studied any linguistics at all formally yet i had managed to deconstruct the whole indo-european morphology and that just to to me it was a no-brainer it was very intuitive it was a very obvious thing to do so later on when i came across writers such as Wittgenstein, and it's like okay well i've uh, yeah i've i've already deconstructed this for myself but um so uh, yeah i think that there is a tendency there for pattern recognition but again i and i think I look at it this way, and I put the question back to you. Um, I think that every human being on the planet, they're walking around with a supercomputer in their head, which is their brain, and everyone is a genius. The problem is is that most people don't know how to exploit their mind. Most people don't know um, 
what they're good at. They don't know what they're interested in. And it's actually op- education is about opening this up. I b- before I left education, I was a school teacher, and um, and I always said I was not going to put my children into mainstream education. And the problem with mainstream education is that it labels two thirds of the children are labeled as average or below average. You have three sets: top, middle, and bottom. Most children are in the average to bottom set, so you've instantly labeled them as average to below average. But yet, each of those children are walking around with a supercomputer in their head. And if you can excel at one thing, you know that's all you need to do in life is is to be an outstanding individual. You just excel at one thing. Find out what you're good at. So, my question to you is: What is your genius? I'm going to have to get, give that a little thought, <laughs> but, but yeah. for now, um, I do want to give you one more chance, Pierre, to go ahead and jump on the soapbox if, if you would like, and just say whatever you have left that you would like to say to my audience out there. And if you wouldn't mind, if you could go ahead and, and, uh, follow that up with anything at all that you would like to plug or promote. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll do that. Uh, I think first of all, my message to your audience would be, be kind to each other, be kind to animals be compassionate uh, you have to be the change within the world you know i view this as almost like being a circuit board if one person stands out and decides to do a thing it has a knock-on effect it's, it's almost like a light bulb which radiates out and that light then um, switches on another light and another light so be the change that you want to be try and lead an example and i also think that in the alternative media that we do have to be exemplary we, we have to and it's difficult and you must know this um you're in the public gaze sometimes people are just downright rude or nasty but you have to try and stand above that and you have to try and lead by example you have to try and be a a thoroughly decent person and so i would say to the audience try and be a thoroughly decent person and in terms of plugging my book i would say please buy a copy of the murder of reality hidden symbolism of the dragon on my book holographic culture if uh, in order to support my work if you're unsure on which book to buy then i always uh, recommend that you buy holographic culture um, because first of all um it's nearly 100 pages longer than the murder of reality but also i i think uh, it's my second book and it's um it, it is more tightly edited, but I think it also explains the scaphological tradition. It explains it very well and it breaks it down very well. So I think if you read holographic culture, you will be introduced to information which you will have never heard of before. And, and I think you will be surprised. You will be you will be like it's like the elephant sitting in the sitting room. You'll be like, why did I not see this? Why? Why? As no one been talking about scaphology, about these angelic vessels within um, mythology, within religion, because, for example, the missionaries are related to an emissary, an angel. But again, the emissaries come from missiles, which were these flying shields. So once once you begin to analyze this and see it, then you'll see the symbolism everywhere and it will change your worldview. It will it will change everything completely. And I would say, you know. I, I also say to my audience, don't 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 abandon spirituality. You know, life is, and and this is from studying near death experience and and through reading the script, scriptures and reading various different researchers, uh, and particularly when you look at blind people and their near near death experience, there is a spiritual world, yeah, and there is 
a creation. I, I do believe that the creation is expansive, it's benevolent, it's loving, and I know it's problematic using um, anthropomorphic language to describe the creator, the absolute, the supreme. But it really is wonderful and it really is beautiful. And I think if you can tune into some of that, then you can become a better person. And also, I, I think you will become less, a lot less anxious as well about one's mortality, about um, your focus in life. Um, and, and essentially finding yourself as an individual and finding meaning within your life. So, um, so that's basically it. Um, you can, I'm, I'm always looking for, um, people signing on to my YouTube channel. And I think that this is going to be, uh, th this also helps me in, in terms of just trying to generate an income. And I think, um, it's going to be pro so yeah, so sign on to my YouTube channel, check out my books at Pierre Sabak. Um, books.com and um, and yeah thank you very much for having me on your radio show it's been absolutely fantastic speaking to you yeah no problem at all and, and I do appreciate you getting a little bit into the spirituality at the end there because I did have a question about the afterlife that I didn't get to and you, you sort of got there on your own so must have been meant to be but I had a great time with this interview learned so much definitely mind-blowing and I would definitely like to sit down with you again perhaps when you're about ready to release your next publication or just whenever you feel like it absolutely um yeah, I mean, I'm working on a book about fairies at the moment, and basically the thesis of the book is that the fairy tradition is connected to the scaphological tradition, which is connected to the angelic tradition. Again, a lot of the symbolism within the fairy tradition has been messed with by the priesthood, and so we are having a highly symbolic language which is based upon this codified discourse so that's what i'm working on at the moment but it's unifying quite a lot of different areas in terms of spirituality physic uh, the physics of the mind um and also um it's again pointing to the scaphological tradition so it's unifying all of these disparate areas which i refer to as the alien dialectic which is you know are aliens physical or are they spiritual and most of the time ufo researchers argue about this really when they should be consolidating their research and pulling it together because once they do this they will realize that we're dealing with a holographic culture which are physical and non-physical and which can control the mechanics of thought so that's um, essentially what i'm looking at i'm trying to synthesize a lot of the work which i've found uh, which i've you know discovered through writing my book holographic culture i, I love that i'm excited already that you're uh, headed into that realm but until then from seattle to the uk thank you very much you. my friend and you have a good night you have a good night as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. And there you have it. That was Pierre Sabak. And that was just, a, a, oh man, that was a great interview. That was a great interview. I'm so into this stuff lately. I am. I'm so into the etymology and the, you know, the old gods and stuff like that. I just get a huge giant kick out of it. But let's go ahead and take a little bit of a break. I see some of you out there in the chat had a... You guys are gathered. <laughs> I don't see any real uh, serious questions in there, but if anybody wants to call after the break, go ahead and call after the break. I'm going to come back and talk about a few things. There's quite a bit to talk about. We usually don't do shows at this time of day, but um, when we interview somebody from England, we kind of have to. So I'll be back after the break with a lot more to say. Just going to take a little break.
The king has returned from the broken ruins of Babylon. This is the end of days.
Hell fucking yeah. That was Todd the Bod jamming the original End of Days radio intro. Or one of the original ones, anyways. Probably my favorite so far. Man, I wish we could still use that intro. But it is just very hardcore and... It just it just like scrambles the brains of the old seventy year old women that try to listen to this show. <laughs> but uh hey, maybe we'll bring it back at some point. We'll see. That's what I like about the breaks though, because I could play all these different songs <laughs> that we made throughout the history of this show. And I mean, I don't like to pat myself on the back too much, but I like to think that some of that's actually pretty decent music. I'm not a musician, but I try. I'm not a rapper, but I try. In fact, I might be releasing a mixtape soon or a CD rapping about the Anunnaki and, and Lucifer and all that fun stuff. It'll be like Jet, Jedi mind tricks, but maybe with a little bit more humor thrown in. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Oh, wait, hold on. Why am I not on the freaking screen? I apologize. There I am. There I am with my sick face. I got this little, it's called a net gate. I can pull this up so that I don't breathe in the virus or spread it to others. It's very patriotic as well. Mm-hmm. You probably can't hear me as well, though. So I can't really wear this while I'm on air. But I do love it. I wear it everywhere. I wear it when I'm driving around. I wear it when I'm fishing. I wear it when I'm sitting at home watching Netflix. Because I look so freaking cool. It's so end of days. It's so... I need to find me a crossbow and some canned food and survive this shit. Hell yeah. So what are you guys doing? How you how you been? Remember, you can call into the show at any time. I am working on figuring it out so I can get people to call in when the guests are on. I got to make sure I do that right because I don't want to kick them off air. So I'll get that sorted out so we can call and ask the guest questions again. But if you want to call, call... 209-348-9810. That's 209-348-9810. Or ninjashoe777 on Skype. You could also hit me up via the email at danielendofdaysradio at gmail.com or use the contact us page at endofdaysradio.com. Hold on, let me take that off. So you can contact me several ways. You can donate several ways. Well, actually, you can only donate through PayPal at the moment. I'm working on getting that Bitcoin thing figured out. It's like... When I was younger, I used to be really tech savvy. I was like Donatello from the Ninja Turtles. I could figure it all out. But as I get older, I just get more further away from some of this newer technology. So while I should be learning about how to do certain things, I'm usually watching football or fishing, wasting my time. Which I find that I do quite a bit as an a middle-aged adult or someone approaching middle age because it's my time. It's my time. I want to spend it how I want to spend it. Right. I want to go fish. You can't tell me I can't fish. You can't tell me I can't fish. I'm going to catch some largemouth bass. I'm going to catch some largemouth bass. I'm going to pull it out of the water. I'm going to kiss it on its lips because a largemouth bath is beautiful. What? Anyways, this is End of Days Radio. I've got a lot to talk about. I've got a lot to fucking talk about. i got to talk about some stuff. First thing I want to talk about is this damn Coronas. The Coronas virus is spreading everywhere. Everybody's got it. They just don't know it yet. Don't be afraid, for this is just another biological attack 
by the Illuminati slash the Anunnaki. They are trying to reduce the population and also destabilize the economy for various reasons. And I feel like whereas 9-11 was the kickoff to the end times or the end of days, I feel like the coronavirus is them taking their finger and hitting that button. You know what I'm saying? Like they're like, it's on now. You poor people, you little poor, you poor fuckers, you you sheep-like cattle, it is time to cash in. We are cashing in our our chips. We are going to make hamburger meat out of all of you. That's basically what's happening here is they're finally doing all the terrible crap that they've talked about doing for a long time. You know, the Georgia Guidestones, the uh, memorial painting down in the uh, Denver airport, stuff like that. They've been telling us that they were going to do this for a while. They want to reduce the population. People like Bill Gates. I like to call him Bill Snakes. But he's all about this. He's even he's even talked about a global virus. He did it, what, three, five years, three to five years ago? He was going around talking about how, oh, if there was a global pandemic, we would probably need a vaccine. Yeah, like, duh, right? So he's going around telling people that they need a vaccine for a global pandemic and talking about global pandemic. And what do we get? A global pandemic right before he fucking steps down from CEO as Microsoft. And you have all these other CEOs that are stepping down because they know something. Because they know, they know shit was about to hit the fan. They know this. Meghan and Harry, Meghan Markle, Megxit. Why do you think they fucking left Europe? Because they knew something was coming. They knew this. They knew that there was a shitstorm on its way. Everybody's going to lose their money. People are going to riot. And no one's going to be able to get in and out of England, right? They're probably going to do that tomorrow. <laughs> Somebody says, it's about time. So sick of waiting. Hey, I feel a little bit vindicated. I do a show called End of Days Radio. Been doing it since 2012. When they told us that this stuff would all start. Which it did. Which it did. They said, oh, nothing's happened in 2012. Fucking look around you. Fucking look around you. Fucking look around you. <laughs> no. This track is not set on a loop. I did both things three times. Because that's how you make a point. You say it three fucking times. Yeah. Don't tell me it's not the end of days. Don't tell me it's not the end of days. Look around you. The species that are dying, we're not going to get them back. Nobody's been able to explain to me what we're going to do. I'm trying not to use the F word as much. So I didn't say, what the fuck we're going to do? What the fuck we're going to do? What are we going to do? Are we going to go up into space? Are we going to go inside of a little trapper keeper and live as AI inside of a machine? If that's even possible. We can't go into space. We don't have that technology yet. That's wishful thinking. We're not going to go into a box because then we're not alive. That's not us. That's just a copy of us. Oh, we're going to transfer your consciousness into the machine. Fucking do it then. And then put it back in my body so I know that it's legit and it's not just a copy of me. You know that show Star Trek? When they would transport people to other planets or the planet's surface, that was not Captain Kirk. That was a copy of Captain Kirk. They fucking killed and cloned Captain Kirk like 1,200 times over the course of that show. You know, going by their explanation of the transporter breaking down your matter and rebuilding it, they're technically just using the uh, the replicators for the food on Captain Kirk. <laughs> they're just replicating them down there. That's their explanation. Unless I have that wrong. That's pretty much what we get. So coronavirus is sweeping the globe, and the first celebrity to get it was Tom Hanks. Yeah, Tom Hanks. 
Tom Hanks, also known as Forrest Gump. Stupid is as stupid does. Now, Forrest Gump was the first celebrity known person to get the coronavirus. And if you remember, in the movie Forrest Gump, somebody actually does get a lab-created disease, a virus, called AIDS. They don't say what the disease or virus is. But Forrest's girlfriend, Jenny, 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 who he was chasing after his whole life. Remember, she's in the car kissing the guy. And he gets in there and he's like punching the guy. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> and he's like, oh, he was hurting you. Well, Jenny, she died of a lab-created disease, right? AIDS was created in the lab. So, obviously. And then... He plays in a movie called Philadelphia, where he has AIDS. And guess what virus that they found has a similar genetic... It's showing that there were elements of the SARS, the SARS virus and the HIV virus implanted into this COVID-19. So, what does that tell you? Tom Hanks, AIDS, yeah, yeah. Not to mention, can I get sued for saying this? If I frame it right, I shouldn't. So this woman is alleging, she's accusing Tom Hanks. I do not know if this is true. I do not know if this is true. I'm just repeating what, I, what I'm seeing. Again, I do not know if this is true. But there's a woman named Sarah Rutherford Ashcroft. I'm sure many of you know about her. And she's claiming that she was sold as a sex slave to Tom Hanks when she was just a teenager. And she swears by this. I ignored her for years and years because it sounded crazy. I thought she was crazy. I didn't want to talk to a crazy person. But when I saw Tom Hanks posting crazy shit on his Instagram, I started to believe her. Because he's going on there, he's putting up pictures of a kid's sock, a kid's boot, a kid's shoe. And he's talking about, oh, this kid lost their shoe in Disneyland or they lost their shoe and hopefully they find it. I understand he's doing like a parody of his own movies, but I don't think anybody in their right mind would spend their time that way. I really think that there's something to be said for showing one shoe. Like our friend Ole Damagard told us that one shoe or one boot represents code for this is the Illuminati doing this. This is the false flag. So he's on Twitter or not Twitter, but Instagram posting these creepy pictures. And at the same time, he's doing all these movies that have these hidden messages. And at the same time, he's claiming to be the first person with this coronavirus. We know what goes on in the world of celebrities. We know that there's mind control and there's surgically modified doppelgangers that take the place of some of these celebrities. We know this is true. I used to laugh at this stuff too. I did. I know it sounds crazy, but it's 110% true. They are replacing celebrities like Dave Chappelle. He didn't go to Africa. The guy, or maybe he did. The guy that came back was not Dave Chappelle. Mm -mm. Britney Spears. She's been replaced a few times. And you just see these celebrities and they, they look different. Their eyes look different. Their teeth look different. And they just like walk into a Tower Records one day and everybody's like, oh, it's Rod Stewart. He looks a little different. <laughs> What's going on? He looks a little different. Oh, uh, Miley Cyrus, her 
Jawline has changed as she got older. <laughs> Interesting development. That's what happens when you hit puberty. They were saying about out it was so many of them. Then you have the Michelle Obama, the uh, Michael Obama stuff, where people point out that she's got broad shoulders, she has an Adam's apple, she was likely a man that was modified in some way to be a female and to marry the president so that they have a androgynous sort of character in front of us. And I've been reading stuff on Twitter. There's a lot of different, you know, grassroots conspiracy theorists like myself that have some theories on that. They say it's like Baphomet. And the reason you have these celebrities like Lady Gaga, she's putting a fake penis in her pants. She's wearing all this Baphomet imagery. Ah, Baphomet. And she's like doing transhumanism stuff and it's all tranny, 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 stuff like that. And, and you know, there's nothing against trans people. Like, please don't get that idea. I'm not attacking anybody. I'm, I don't vibe with hate or anything like that. I'm just talking about what's going on out there. But uh, they're pushing this whole trans sort of thing because that's Baphomet. It's called the divine androgen. Androgen. And when you present that in front of us, it has a very key psychological effect. It's, it's part of creating the energy that they're they trying to create. It's part of their magic. So you have a lot of female celebrities that were men. I don't know which ones. I'm not going to go accusing this or that person, but you get the idea. There's something like that going on. And again, another one of these things that I thought was complete bullshit until I actually looked into it myself and did my own research. You know, this net gator thing looks terrible. It looks like a scarf. I don't like it. It looks cool when it's like this. Yeah, yeah, Cobra. Yeah, Cobra Commander. Yeah. But then when I put it down like this, it's like, oh, hee, oh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Whatever. It's just one show. Um, <laughs> the celebrity world is fucking weird. Look what happened to Britney Spears. She had a complete fucking meltdown. Katy Perry, very strange stuff going on there. Again, with the Lady Gaga, probably the weirdest. Uh, Kesha, uh, the, the list goes on and on. Go on YouTube and look for a guy named Professor Griff. He will fill you in on a lot of this stuff. He's kind of more from the African-American slash black perspective, but you got to listen to it. You got you to hear all the perspectives because that's how you're going to get to the truth. That's how I found out the Hebrews were black. And in my opinion, in my opinion, these celebrities that are being cloned, yes, a lot of them are being killed, but I believe that, you know, maybe not the celebrities, maybe some of them, but especially these elite bankers and people like that, when they die, they're not really dying. Because if you look at their obituaries, you'll see code you'll see like 33 stuff like that i talked about this before but what's going on is they're actually getting a get out of jail free card so they've fulfilled their obligation here in the stage world and they're going to something called the backstage area which is things like the denver airport where you have all those you know miles and miles of levels it's a huge bunker right it's a whole civilization a whole city down there they have that stuff in more places than the denver, denver airport and Oh, man, I don't know if I should even talk about this. This could, this could get me killed, but uh, before Tracy Twyman, before she, whatever happened to her, before she was offed, she was looking into a lot of uh, uh, 
Uh, let's see. How do you pronou- pronounce the name? Arn Rand? Is that how you say it? Ain, Ain Rand? Let's see. So, Ayn Rand. So, Ayn Rand wrote a book called Atlas Shrugged. And, fuck. This is getting so down the rabbit hole. (laughs) Uh, Basically, the idea of creating a secret invisible place on Earth for the elect to hide and shows up in Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. There, society's elite led by a renegade genius engineer, decide to rebel against society's needs. Decide to rebel against society's needy. Useless mass... (laughs) Sorry, I'm terrible. They decide to rebel against society's needy, useless masses and retreat into a hidden world of their own. It's an invisible realm they've named Atlantis. Coincidence? Hidden inside the Rocky Mountains by some kind of force field invented by the society founder, John Galt. This little modern-day Saturn... Lord of Misrule during the legendary Golden Age, whatever that means, populated his hidden kingdom of perfect anarchy with society's true elite. Galt selected them personally and one by one presented them with an offer that for some reason none of them chose to refuse. Hmm, interesting. Sounds like what I was talking about just now, don't it? The result is that each of them decides to walk out of his or her life, including all business and family obligations, so that they can disappear into Atlantis. In the Rockies, and live without rules or expectations in this land of perfect freedom. In doing so, most of them choose to commit some catastrophic act of sabotage against their own handiwork. Mines, factories, and railways are blown up with explosives, leaving heaping burning piles of ruin, including a petroleum fire that nobody can put out because everybody smart enough to figure out how has already disappeared into Atlantis. And I don't even know what I'm reading. Somebody sent this to me anonymously, and I'm pretty sure that Tracy Twyman wrote it. I don't really know, though. (laughs) I'm just, like, given this information that totally connects the dots of things that I'm looking at. I'm given this information. I'm like, holy shit, and I don't even know who to thank. Imagine that, right? The book is junk. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, (laughs) So... Let's see. Where's the next part? The man who does this last act in particular leaves behind a sign stating, I'm leaving it as I found it. This is all connected to the title, of course. It's a fuck you to to humanity. The message is, we, the titans of industry, who keep the sky from falling like Atlas, are going to shrug and let everything collapse on top of you. This is the shrug of whatever, embodied in the cremation of care ceremony at bohemian club meetings the lake of fire imagery in the scene mentioned above the burning pit that cannot be extinguished is a clear channeling of the spirit of those trapped in tartarus enslaved and forced to hold up the pillars of heaven and earth or solomon's temple as presented in the testament of solomon the little snot who gets it all started john gall invents a free energy machine a mini particle accelerator harvesting atmospheric energy as is described in unintentionally comedic sincerity in the film version but then realizes how much he hates humanity and that they don't deserve to benefit from his invention in fact he decides to take it upon himself to teach society a lesson so he runs away vowing as he leaves to stop the engine of the world he plans to do this by persuading all the other pillars of society like himself to following him in his hidden underworld of Atlantis, inductees are all forced to spend the first night alone in a particular room in John Galt's house. Weird, right? They are made to take to take a vow to never live for another man, to never ask another man to live for me. Okay. It's pretty interesting stuff, right? So that was sent to me anonymously. I don't 
I'm not claiming that as my own work or research or anything like that. Don't get the wrong idea. It was sent to me. And how could I not talk about that? I mean, especially when uh, Tracy Twyman was looking into that stuff and she disappeared. I mean, somebody somebody has to, um, you know, make it known. So I, I apologize if that that uh, feels like I'm lifting or anything like that. Not my intention. My only intention is to get the truth out there. And I think that I think that whatever this was might have been more important than the uh, pedophile stuff that Tracy was looking into and maybe the real reason she disappeared. Just a theory, but <laughs> it's never the initial thing. It's, it's never what they make it seem like. I don't think they care that much about the pedophile stuff. Everybody already knows about that. Unless there's some like actual pictures of Hillary or something like that. I, I just, I don't know. We could speculate all day, but let's stop before I get a bullet in the back of the head. <laughs> Okay, so I did want to apologize to you guys. So, man, there's been like a a month break in the show, and it, not intentional at all. I had shows lined up, but something just kept happening. Uh, the first time I had this lady booked, and she just couldn't make it. I think she double booked something and forgot about me or something like that. But that's fine. I mean, you know, anytime anybody does that, it probably means that they're not really a good fit for the show. You know what I'm saying? And then the next week, it was like, it, my guest just had something else going on. It was a different guest, and we rescheduled. And then the, the following week, we wanted to get familiar with a particular computer program. So we scheduled, rescheduled it again. And then the following week after that, I sat back down with him the following week, and then his power went out. So coincidental? I don't know. But it's just been brutal. You guys have been like almost a month without a show, and I... I feel awful. I should just jump on air. I hate jumping on air without a good guest. But more and more I'm thinking that I'm just going to I'm just going to like maybe put together little quick roundtable shows cuz I got good feedback on that stuff. Like I have tons of people just well, Daniel, when are you going to do another roundtable? Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. Sorry, I'm getting hot. But I keep hearing the same thing. Everybody wants to do another roundtable. And I'm fine with that. I mean, I had fun with the last one. And the cool thing is that, you know, certain people that want to come on the show, they don't always feel like they have two hours of content or they don't, maybe they haven't written a book, but they have some things to say and they want to come on and they want to talk, but not have the pressure of doing what I do and, you know, continuously keep talking because it is hard until you get used to doing it, until you get some practice. So, you know, you guys that are wanting to come on the show, but kind of feeling like you don't, you haven't quite worked up the gall to actually do it. This is a perfect time for you to come on and say what you have to say and interact a little bit. And it, it, a lot of times it ends up being pretty funny. So that's the main goal is to either be interesting or entertaining. Uh, like, like my idol Howard Stern says, if we can't be funny, at least we can be interesting. Except I do it in reverse order. I like to be interesting and fall back on the funny. But, uh, Hopefully we can do that. So any of you out there that have a webcam, right? And anybody anybody out there that wants to participate in this, hit me up. DanielEndOfDaysRadio at gmail.com or hit me up on Skype, NinjaShoes777 or End of Days Radio. I want to make you, you, the audience out there, you know, part of the show. Um, you know, I'm not going to overdo it. I'm not going to change the show. But I, I just want to a little bit more. I want to kind of bring you guys in a little bit more and... And have you interacting a little bit and make you out there that love end of days radio a little bit more of a part of the show because hey, we don't take ourselves too seriously. It's just a fucking podcast I do in my garage. Yeah, there's a lot of people listening for whatever reason, but it's not a big fucking deal. Look, I have a jacket 
back there thrown over a chair and it looks like shit. And a little fucking chicken guy back there. It's not professional at all. At least I got a glow behind me. Whoop. Whoop. Lies. 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 Um, uh, I'm not going to go on and on today because I don't have tons and tons of stuff prepared. So let's do it. And by it, I mean the infamous mind-blowing moment of the day. Excuse me. I'm just looking around for an instrument. I do not have one. Oh, shit. looks like I lost the stream for a second. Hopefully that'll be okay. Just give it a second to reconnect. Say no data. Okay, the connection's back. Hopefully that all turns out okay. So I don't have an instrument, but what I do have is a string cheese. So my blowing. My blowing. Mind blowing moment of the day. Today's mind blowing moment of the day has to be when Pierre was talking about that hard light shit, like the holograms that are actually real and the way he explained that. Holy shit. Holy shit. That makes so much sense. And the entire context of everything that's been going on out here in the world and the things that we've been looking at and the whole idea of the Anunnaki, which they say we're walking around with people yet. There doesn't seem to be, physical evidence of that and that would kind of explain why people were seeing these beings but they're not quite you know what i'm saying you know what i'm saying i think that's fucking fascinating personally how are you guys doing let me know contact me at daniel end of days radio at gmail.com guest suggestions recommendations ideas if you just want to shoot the shit contact me talk to me talk to me talk to me i love you guys you don't be shy uh, sometimes you guys will send me questions that I just can't answer. For example, I got one that said, doo -doo 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 -doo. so it was uh, from Protonius. He said, I'm listening to your live program now, March 4th, 2020. 6.35 a.m. Eastern Time. I tuned in mid-program, and I have a question. Who's the guest? What is his name? The interview never the interviewer, which was me, of course, never mentions the guest name, and your website doesn't list the name or the date of the show either. But who is this guy? You know, I apologize. I don't know why that's not listed somewhere. It should be listed. Like, whatever you're using to listen to the show, it should show you interview with so-and-so in the title. I apologize if it's not. But... I don't know what show was playing at that time. That's why I didn't write you back. I don't know. It's just playing. When you listen to the stream, that's not live. It used to be, but it's just playing old replays of the show. I can't stream both YouTube and that old stream at the same time. I don't have the bandwidth. It's impossible. I'd have to buy two monthly internets. So, I mean, I guess I could take over some college campus or something one of these days. But, uh... I don't know. So I'm sorry. I didn't write you back on that one. But I'm thinking of you. That's why I read this letter here on air because i'm thinking about you and i want you to know protonius that i love you as much as you love me even though i can't answer your question if you gave me some more clues maybe you should talk about what he talked about then i'd be able to tell you who it was but i can't it's obviously somebody fascinating but 
that's all I got for today. I'm not going to bore you guys to death because I just, that's all I have prepared. This coronavirus is hitting and I did not have time to really put together a huge show. So that's all I have. And I, besides that, I just want to thank you guys for paying any attention to the show, for participating, for being listeners, fans, whatever you want to call yourselves. Things have been fucking hard for me lately. Like I've been going through a living hell. Really, I have. I've been going through hell. Like, I'm not even going to get into it. I, just from, I'd say, like, the past couple years or so, just bad thing after bad thing happening to me. But it's all for a reason, so I'm not going to cry about it. Because I know that this is part of a plan. I know this because I can see it. I can read between the lines. And I can see that things are headed in a, in a direction that is beneficial to my spirit and who I am in my approach towards the world so i don't give a fuck just bring it bring the pain that's what it's about without pain you cannot become stronger Ooh, yeah snap into a slim jim slap into a string cheese yeah yeah all right you guys i love you go to endofdaysradio.com and i will see you next wait what are we doing next time this Saturday, we'll be talking to a skeptic. Ooh, the enemy. Ooh, a skeptic. Ooh. <laughs> Can I handle it? I'm scared. He's going to be mean. He's going he's gonna to say things about the topics we like that we don't like. He's going to mess with our belief systems. I'm scared. I don't want to hear it. I might have to tell him to stop halfway and kick him off air and tell him he's a poo-poo head. You, want, you guys want me to do that? We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm not going to do that. But it should be fun in any case. It's a little different, right? Roy's going down the rabbit hole. Let's go back up out of the rabbit hole for one one time, right? Let's try it. Let's let's try a healthy dose of some reality and see if maybe the next day Daniel suddenly he becomes sane or he joins the uh, Mormon Church of Latter-day Saints or something like that. We'll see what happens. But until then, I love you guys and I will talk to you later.